When I was first engaged, I, every other weekend or so, made trips to see my fiance and to kind of hang out with the in-laws, um, or as I called them, the outlaws at the time. And uh, so I'd, from Pittsburgh, drive two and a half hours kind of northeast uh, just to this small town out in the country and, and hang out. And from the very beginning, I noticed a kind of disturbing trend with my father-in-law-to-be. He liked taking me deep into the woods. <laughs> exactly. My reaction, exactly. Uh, he, he wanted to bond uh, slash bump me off. I'm not exactly sure which of the two because he kept doing these activities. The first way he tried to bond with me was uh, cross-country skiing. Uh, they had this amazing house that sat on the side of this hill, and his backyard really just kind of emptied into this expansive woods. But what I hadn't really realized is that growing up, uh, my fiance and their family had a cross-country ski lodge, and they used to cross-country ski marathons. Uh, they would go 26 miles on cross-country skis, 32 miles on cross-country skis. It was this kind of insane addiction to this. Now, he took me out, and it's... If you've done it, it's like jogging in the snow with the difficulty level of sticks on your feet. You know, let, let's make it harder. We'll put these on your feet. And uh, let's make it even harder. There's no lifts to go up hills. You have to walk up hills with these sticks on your feet. So they got a good laugh, and he took me deep into the woods, but I found my way back. Uh-huh. So a few months later, when it was warmer, he decided he would take this other track. Uh, he had two motocross bikes, two dirt bikes, a couple of 250s. And uh, one Saturday morning, he decided he was going to bond with me, and uh, we were going to ride these bikes. So we go out, and, and I'm gearing up. And, and this part actually was kind of cool. You know, you get the cool helmet, and you have all of these pads, you know, this chest protector, and you have stuff in your arms and on your hands and on your legs, and you have shin guards. And I was like a, I was like a dirt bike superhero. You know, I was ready to roll. Uh, I should have thought, wait, why, why do I need all these pads? But that didn't hit me yet. I was still in superhero mode. So he literally he walks me over to the, the bike. He's like, all right, go ahead, sit on there. I just want to tell you a few things real quick. Um, your left hand, that's the clutch. Your right hand, that's the throttle and the front brake. Your right foot, that's the rear brake. And your left foot, um, one down is first. In between first and second is uh, neutral. And then you click your foot up, two, three, four. Let's do it. I'm like, okay. I've pedaled a bike before. Um, so we, we do a couple of jump starts, and we get going out uh, into the woods. And so we go down this hill and around this corner, and there's this log in the path, and, and he goes over it, and I come down around the corner, and I go over it. Um, the bike doesn't. <laughs> I do. And uh, he circles back around and, and, you know, picks me up, and we, I push the bike around <laughs> the log. And he's like, no, no, the bikes, they love it. They eat that stuff up. Try a little gas next time, though. Okay. So we're going, and then there's this part in the woods where, you know how you can kind of go up the hill and down? And so he goes shooting up and around and down, and, and I go shooting up. But there's a key factor to this up and down. It's called momentum. And I had none. And I went up, and then just straight back down, and the bike's coming back down on me, and I roll off, and he circles back around to help me out, and um, I know that underneath his helmet, he is grinning ear to ear. <laughs> I can't see it, but I know it's happening. Um, so we get back on, and we're riding for a little bit, and uh, we're going down this hill, 
and he turns, and I turn, and I don't know how it happened, but it, it happened so fast. The bike kicked out from underneath me really quick, and it ended up that I was still standing. But my momentum and the downward slope of the hill left me like running downhill. So one second I'm riding, the next second I'm running downhill, and literally, honest to goodness, I just smacked right into a tree. It was like, <laughs> boom. I'm like, that's why we have the pads. He circles back around, puts me back on this torture device, and grinning the whole time. And so we're going along. And at this point, honestly, I am going just fast enough on this motocross bike so that it doesn't tip over, right? There, there is no longer this kind of dirt bike superhero. It's like, that's it. And all of a sudden, he disappears, gone. And I'm like, oh, great. And so I come up to the edge of this precipice that's a thousand feet straight down. No, uh, it felt like it. Uh, I come up to the edge, and it's like 30 feet down and out. And I'm done. I, I just, I'm done. Turn the bike off. And I'm sitting on the bike. It was harder than I thought. It was confusing to me. I just could never get everything right. It hurt. <laughs> and I was done following him. And so I just sat there at the edge. Just sat on the bike. 15 minutes later, I'm still sitting at the edge of this thing. I'm done. I don't know how I'm getting back. <laughs> I hear him come back around. I can hear the sound of his bike. And he comes back around and he pulls up next to me. And he kicks his helmet up and he looks at me and he goes, Don't think, just follow me. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> to my death. I'll never find the body out here. But listen, there's something to that, right? There's something to this, don't think, just follow. Now, here's what I want you to hear right away. I'm not asking you not to think. God has shaped us in such a way and given us brains to use them. C.S. Lewis has this quote. He says, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers. As a Christian, you are embarking on something that is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. Anyone who is honestly trying to be a Christian will soon find his intelligence being sharpened. And that's true. God wants us to use our brains. But what my father-in-law was really saying is he was saying, listen, don't overthink this because it's getting you in trouble. He's, he's saying this. He's saying, just trust me and follow me. And, and that's where the wisdom is, because we're going to come at times to the edge, and we're going to be confused, and we're going to be in pain, and we're going to just want to stop following. Because there's a lot of times that you will not understand God. There's going to be a lot of times where you just have to commit to, okay, I don't get it, but I'm going to follow. I'm going to trust and follow. And, and for sometimes, you can just have this kind of point of view where you're just like, okay, I don't get it, but God, I'm in. And other times, you're like, listen, I, I need to track this down further. I don't understand this, but I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to chase some answers. But ultimately, listen, you will never come to the end of an infinite God. You're not going to figure everything out. You're not going to come to the end of an infinite God. Theologians have been arguing things for years. Eventually, you're going to come to the point where you're like, wait a second, I still have questions. 
I'm still confused. I still don't understand what's going on here. And what are you gonna do at that point? Psalm 131 says, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. That can seem like a cop-out, like, oh, it's too hard. I just don't concern myself with that. But the image that he paints in that chapter is what you really need to do sometimes is it's like a small child with its mother, where you're like, the small child just snuggles in tight to mom. I don't understand what's going on in the big world, but I know that I'm here with my parent. And he says, put your hope in the Lord. Because there will be mystery. There will be things that you do not understand. We're continuing on in our series in Romans, courtroom to the living room. And if we were to break down the chapters, they break down kind of neatly. Romans 1 to 4 is the doctrine of justification. Romans 5 to 8 is hope and life in the spirit. Romans 9 to 11 is is where we are. And it's Israel's unbelief as it relates to God's faithfulness. And it's also the sovereignty of God. And then when you get to Romans chapter 12 to 16, it's, it's this how then should we live. But right now we're in the middle of this kind of Israel's unfaithfulness as it relates to the faithfulness of God and in this sovereignty piece. And so what we've looked at is Romans chapter 9. Steve did a great job of breaking this out. Sovereignty of God. God is going to do what God wants to do. He's God. He's going to do his thing. And so if you get to the end of Romans 9, you could have this attitude of like, okay, well, God's going to do what he wants to do, so it doesn't really matter what I do. And then in Romans chapter 10, we see that there's a human responsibility as well. There's, we have a responsibility in how we respond to God's grace And we also have a responsibility as to how we pray for the lost and how we proclaim the good news that God has given us. We have responsibility. What we have here then in Romans 9 and 10 is this holy tension. We have this sovereignty of God versus human responsibility. And and, well, God's gonna do what he wants to do, and yet I have a part. It's, It's a tension. And there's tensions all through scripture. The Bible says that God is wholly other, that like if you looked upon him, you would die. And then the Bible also says that he's closer than a brother. It's a tension, right? There'll never be anybody further away from who you are than God, and there will never be anybody closer to you than God. It's a tension. There's a tension in in Scripture where it says that God is fierce. It says that God is a consuming fire. And then it says that God is love, and he's compassion. There's, there's a tension there. God's sovereignty, human responsibility. It's, it's not either or, it's both and. We need to embrace that. Because sometimes I think we have this like, well, it doesn't make sense, right? Well, if God was here right now, I'd have a bunch of questions for him. Guess what, if God was here right now, what would we be doing? We'd be worshiping him. We'd be on our faces. We'd be on our knees. We would be worshiping him. And, and the great thing about Romans 9, 10, and 11 is that it ends in worship. You, you go through all of these things and these tensions and these questions and possibly these confusing things, but it ends 
in worship of him, and we want to end there as well. We wanna make sure that we end this section in worship. And, and it's okay, we can embrace the mystery. And it's okay to understand that there are tensions there, and the tensions shouldn't push us away, they should draw us to him. Because if we could figure God out, he wouldn't be God. If God could fit in our imagination, we'd get bored of him. And we need to understand that he's big, and he's complicated, and he's confusing, and he's fierce, and he's good. And so when you're at the edge, and you're like, I don't get it, this is hard, I don't understand, Wait, I'm just called to trust and follow. So we're gonna be in Romans chapter 11. If you wanna grab your Bible and turn there. If you wanna grab one out of the pew, it's on page 1792. And Paul's tracking with this mystery. Paul's tracking with a mystery, and he's going to reveal a mystery to us today. And uh, I want you to kind of hang on, because initially he's gonna ask two questions and answer two questions that might to you seem a little bit distant from where you are, but these questions are leading us to this mystery and this place that's going to lead us to worship of him. So the first question he asks is in verse one. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Has God rejected Israel, and he's gonna give two reasons for his answer. He says, of course not, of course not. Reason number one, I myself am an Israelite. Okay, so I know that God hasn't rejected his people because I'm his people, Israel. And then the second thing is, he says, well, and there's also a remnant. There's also a group that has remained faithful to him, and that's, Good news and bad news, honestly. The bad news is, is the remnant at this point is like just a stump of the tree. The good news that we're gonna find out is the roots are good and it's gonna shoot up again. He says in verse five about the remnant, it's the same today. Few, for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. We get this reminder, again, of grace. Paul keeps coming back to this. It's about grace, that you're saved by grace, right? And I'm like, again, another reminder of grace? Yes, we need another reminder of grace. This is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. He's saying that they're not finding it. They're looking for it earnestly, but they're looking for it by working for it. They're trying to get the grace of God through their good works. And you know that the second you work, it ceases to become a gift, right? And so what they were doing is they had the 10 commandments that God had given them, and those were great. And they said, God, thank you for these 10, but what... We see a little things that you could add it on here. And so they started adding on to the 10 commandments. And at this point, they had come up with 613 commandments. These are the things that you need to do to earn the favor of God. And that's what they were trying to do. But you know that it leaves you empty because one, you can never follow all of the commandments. And since you can never follow them, you always are left with, well, then have I done enough? Have I followed enough? And you can see where this works leaves you empty. This is why they were not finding 
the favor of God. I met with a student this past week, and the student asked me this question, am I good enough for God? Am I good enough for God? And what they were asking is, have I done enough that God looks at me and says, oh, you're good? And guess what? The answer is uh, no. You're not good enough for God. And even better, guess what? It doesn't work that way. Because it's all about grace. It's free and it's undeserved. And that's what grace is. He goes on to say, a few of them have. A few have earned that. Or a few have found that. The ones God has chosen. But the hearts of the rest were hardened. As scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see and closed their ears so they do not hear. Here's this kind of mystery again. Because when you look into the original language, there is a piece where they have closed their eyes. They have hardened their own hearts by their own will and by their own acts of disobedience. And there is also a piece that, well, says God had a piece of that. God is sovereign, human responsibility. We have attention there. But to answer his question, has God rejected his people? No. And he's about to give us this pattern that is grace for the rest of us. Verse 11, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient. So God made salvation available to the Gentiles, but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. So here's this pattern. All right, this is where we need to clue in because this is about us. The Jews, the nation of Israel, rejected this blessing, which led to the Gentile blessing, which will again lead to the Jewish blessing. This is all part of God's plan, that the nation of Israel said, no, no, we, we don't want that. We don't want it that way. And God said, okay, that's great, because now it's going to go to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 13. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and he is preaching to the nation of Israel, and they are, they're like, no, we don't want to hear it from you. And it says in verse 47, it says, well, this is, we knew this was going to happen. It says, the Lord gave us this command. I've made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. And it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were happy. Because they were like, okay, so let me get this straight. You Jewish people don't want eternal life, and you don't want the grace of God, and now God's saying we can have it. Okay, I'm in. I'll take it. That's the pattern that we have. We have this pattern of Jewish rejection leads to Gentile blessing. That the nation of Israel, somehow this was God's plan, he said they're going to reject me and that's part of my plan so that my good news can go to the ends of the earth, to us. How many of you in this room have put your faith in Jesus and you have no Jewish background? Let me see your hands. All right, look around real quick. Okay, this is what the church in Rome looked like. All right, lots of Gentiles. How many of you have Jewish background and you put your faith in Christ? There's some, a couple hands here and there. That's the church. And so he's basically, he's writing to the Gentiles, and he's saying this. He's saying, you need to stop being so proud. 
The Gentiles at this point thought that it was all about them. They thought that they had arrived, they thought that they had attained, they were forgetting about grace and they were forgetting about the roots. So Paul gives this illustration. And he says, this is, this is what it's like and you need to remember this. Verse 17, some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. You see that? There's another tension there. Notice how God is both. He's kind and severe. He's severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. If you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he would be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. That's the picture. Okay, so over here I have an olive tree. Um, Well, it's kind of an olive shrub at this point. But it's, it's drinking milk and it's growing. So, God has a special tree. And what he's done for us is he's taken the wild olive branches. This is, uh, for those of you who don't know, a wild olive branch. And uh, you'll just have to trust me. Um, It was up late last night partying and lives a life of willful disobedience. So it's wild. Um, And so what he's saying is, the wild branch gets grafted on. Now, I am a horticultural genius. Just kidding. I watch YouTube. Um, So what you do is, you take this off of the wild and you scratch a little bit on the bottom there, kind of reveal a little bit of the inside of this limb. And then the branch that I've prepared to receive it has the same thing happen. Now what's gonna happen if this branch just stays here? It's dead, right? It's, It's gonna die. But if you take this branch and some grafting tape, right, what you do then is you take the branch and then you can put it on the tree and it's going to live. Now here's the funny thing. You would never graft a wild branch to a cultivated tree. That's not the way it works. You take cultivated and you graft it into the wild because Wild olive branches don't bear good fruit. They bear mostly seed. And so God's saying, guess what? You get to be grafted in. And so I want to show you this because guess what? This, this is our story. That God, the gardener who grafts and prunes as he pleases, has allowed us to be grafted into his family. This is our story. And remember that we are grafted in 
by grace. It's by the grace of God that we are allowed to be a part of this tree. The, the branch doesn't do it on its own. It doesn't just kind of walk over here and climb up, kind of, you know, whatever, scrape the bottom and tape itself to the tree. No. The gardener has to do that. It's not by skill or our effort or our genius that gets us in. It's the grace of God. That's our story. I used to do scavenger hunts for my daughters, uh, my girls. Before they were even able to read, what I would do is I would just draw pictures of things around the house and I would leave them kind of all over one picture leading to the next. And then I'd start them with a picture and I'd take both of their hands and, and then I'd show them the first picture. Okay, what is this? And they'd look at it. And I'd say, okay, rhymes with roaster and it's where you put the bread. Toaster? Yes, toaster. So we'd go to the toaster, and at the toaster, there'd be a clue there, and it'd be another picture, and I'd take their hands, and we'd figure it out, and come over here, and say, like the wave, like the wave, microwave, like the wave. What do you think it sounds like? Microwave? Yes, you're geniuses. You get that from me. And we'd go around, and uh, eventually, we'd come to the end, you know, the last picture, and there'd be a lollipop there, and I'd pick them up, you know, and they'd, they'd get the lollipop at the end, and they'd say, I did it, I did it, Dad, I did it. And I'd be like, mm, I did it. <laughs> Drew all the clues, <laughs> held your hand, made sure you got to every place, picked you up. Basically, you received the lollipop. Right? That's us, right? That's, that's our story. It's not like, oh, I did it, I did it, I did it. No, it's, it's the grace of God who left the clues, pointed us in that direction, and we received by faith. We are grafted in. And so he's saying, don't be prideful about this. We can't be prideful about our position. I grew up in the church. I, I can't remember a time that I wasn't going to church. And I think that oftentimes that can be very dangerous because it starts to kind of trickle in that, well, you know, I, I'm good enough. I've done a lot of stuff over the years. I've, I've earned a lot of that. And pride starts to come in. And the pride comes in that, that makes me more important and God less important. It makes my effort seem bigger than the things that God is doing. And, and even really scary is when we kind of take our own preferences and our own passions and we make them our own doctrine. We make them our creed. These are the things that we follow. That pride comes in. But listen, we are grafted in. And the only way that we are alive is because of the grace of God. And that sap that flows through, the only way that we bear fruit is because of the nutrients from the roots. And, and the only way that we experience these promises of God is because God promised to the roots, to the patriarchs. He made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and we get to have part of those promises because we are grafted into his tree. Romans chapter nine, verse four, talks about what things are Israel's, right? They are the people of Israel, chosen, 
it says, to be God's adopted children. Guess what? Guess what we get now? Because we're grafted in, we get adoption. God revealed his glory to them, which means God's presence. We get the presence of God in our lives because we were grafted in. He made covenants with them. That that he made promises to his people for protection and for direction and for guidance. Those are the things we get because we were grafted in. He gave them the law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. These are the things that we receive because we were grafted in. We have the hope of the gospel. We have the peace of Christ. We have an invitation from the courtroom to the living room. And so I ask you then, where does this lead your heart? When you look at this picture, when you remember that you were grafted in, when you understand that it was nothing that you did, but everything that God did, this should take us to a place of worship. This should allow us to be led into worship. I mean, there's mystery there. There is definitely mystery there. There are things where like, well, God, I don't know why that's your plan. Verse 25, Paul says, I want you to understand this mystery. He's saying, I want you to understand this pattern, that God had this taken care of from the beginning. But here's the pattern, that Jewish rejection is going to lead to your blessing, but guess what? They're going to they're gonna come back again. There's a mystery there. There's a mystery all through these chapters. There's mystery in 9, 10, and 11. There's mystery in the picture of the tree. But understand that the tree is going to have Jewish and Gentile branches. Like it says in Scripture, that the blood of Christ has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations. And God's not done with the tree. And you can even have a part of proclaiming his good news so that People can be grafted in as well. And amidst this mystery is maybe you stand here and you're like, I'm confused. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know how to follow. We come to this place of, hey, trust the sovereign God who's in charge of it all. We come to this place of worshiping the God who is over all. This kind of puts us back in the proper perspective. And do you see that, God? Do you see God in that way, that he is the God who is supremely in charge? Do you have a picture of God in your head? Have you ever thought about that? Like if you close your eyes right now and you were like, okay, what does God look like? Would he be like, be huge, right? He'd be wearing a robe. Um, He'd have like white hair that would always be blowing, even though there's not a breeze, just be blowing. And he would be backlit, right? There'd always be this light behind his head. Big, huge toes sticking out of these giant sandals as he sits up on this throne. And maybe in your mind, he's kind of like grandpa, where he's got a lot of really good advice and maybe a dollar for you every once in a while. And maybe, you know, he was kind of with it, but he... Kind of lost track with all the technology these days. I want to challenge your picture of this sovereign God. God is not old. He's eternal. Right? God is not intimidated. He's all-powerful. He's not confused. He knows everything. 
God is sovereign. He's supreme. He is over all. And so as you're at the edge and as you have these questions, verse 33 just brings us back into perspective. How great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge? How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. God, I, I don't know. It's impossible to understand. But you're God, and so I want to trust and follow. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Now, I think that that's a role that we want to take. We want to give God advice. Like, God, if I were you, I would do it this way. Or, God, I can't believe you did it this way. God doesn't have advisors. Kings and queens have advisors. The president has advisors. God doesn't have advisors. Who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? We can't work for it. God doesn't owe us anything. How can we understand his ways? Well, we're not necessarily called to understand. We're called to trust and follow. I'm at the edge on this bike. Father-in-law pulls up next to me. Don't think. Just follow me. Okay, I'm in. And so he shoots off down. And I go down. And I'm not saying the rest of it was easy. But I'm saying I got home. And I'm saying I still got the bride. (laughs) I made it. I trusted. And I followed. And God's saying that same thing to us. And I think we forget that. I think we forget to worship him when we forget that we were from a different tree. And I think we can forget to trust him and follow him because we've just been kind of sitting around too long, and we forget that. We forget that he's sovereign, and that he's fierce, and that he's completely in control, and that he's dangerous, and that he's good. 